What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, it's Dr. Will Cole. This podcast is the manifesto for a new breed of health seekers. This is the art of being well. What's up and welcome to the art of being well. I am a leading functional medicine doctor. I get to consult people around the world via webcam and I'm a New York Times bestselling author. I wrote Intuitive Fasting, The Inflammation Spectrum, Ketotarian. If you want to learn more about my clinical work, the telehealth center, becoming a patient, we have brand new telehealth patient options, new patient options available and open right now. And there's tons of free resources there for you as well. You can check it all out at drwillcole.com. That's D-R-W-I-L-L-C-O-L-E.com. And listeners of The Art of Being Well, If you haven't heard the news, I have a brand new book that's for pre-order right now. It's called Gut Feelings, Healing the Shame-Fueled Relationship Between What You Eat and How You Feel. It's really a book. I'm so excited for you to read it. I'm talking about the research in the scientific literature, exploring this bi-directional relationship, this interconnectedness between mental health and physical health. And something that we talk a lot about on the podcast is that mental health is physical health. And to, and and really I get to explore in gut feelings, the research around shame and chronic stress and trauma and intergenerational trauma. It is mind blowing and how those mental, emotional, spiritual facets can impact our physical body, how it can be stored in our cells, how it can dysregulate our nervous system and creating hypervigilance, impacting our endocrine system or hormones and inflammation levels in the gut-brain axis. But then conversely, how physiological things like underlying gut problems, things like SIBO or leaky gut syndrome or people that have mold toxicity or chronic Lyme disease, how those physiological things impact our mood, impact things like anxiety and depression and brain fog and fatigue. So it's called gut feelings. So it's gut and feelings, the physiological and the psychological. I'm so excited about it. The foreword was was actually written by Dr. Nicole LaPera, the holistic psychologist. She's been on the podcast before. So anyways, we're giving away tons of free stuff when you pre-order Gut Feelings. So head on over to drwillcole.com, head on over to the Gut Feelings page, and we're giving away like loads of stuff for everybody that pre-orders from now until when it's released. 
And we're also giving away free signed books when you rate and review The Art of Being Well on Apple Podcasts. Tell us what you love about the show. And every month, no matter when you listen to this episode, my team and I will be randomly picking winners every month and sending to you a free signed book of your choice. So you can do it two different ways. You can leave your Instagram handle in the Apple Podcast review itself, or you could screenshot your Apple Podcast review and message me on Instagram at Dr. Will Cole. And every month we'll be going through the messages on Instagram as well as the Apple Podcast reviews themselves. And I'll reach out to winners every month. Good luck. All right, let's get to today's guest. She is a freaking brilliant human being. Her name is Jessie Inchasape. Jessie Inchasape is a French biochemist and international best-selling author of Glucose Revolution. She's on a mission to translate cutting-edge science into easy advice to help people improve their physical and mental health. She's the founder of the wildly popular Instagram account, Glucose Goddess, where she teaches hundreds of thousands, millions really at this point, of people about healthy food habits. She holds a Bachelor of Science degree in mathematics from King's College London and a Master of Science degree in biochemistry from Georgetown University. In her first book, Glucose Revolution, translated into over 30 languages, Jessie shares her startling discovery about the essential role of blood sugar in every aspect of our lives, from cravings to fertility and the surprising hacks to optimize it while still eating the foods we love. Stay tuned through the entire conversation because at the end, when I'm finished talking to Jesse, I'll answer another one of your burning health questions in and ask me anything. All right. This is Jesse and Chalcepay's Art of Being Well. Jesse, this is long overdue. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me, Will. I'm super happy. My goodness. So I have so many questions going through my mind. People are going to learn so much. <laughs> <laughs> and you're a podcast pro, but they're going to learn things they've never learned from you. I, that's my promise, everybody. And then for everybody that's new to your work, they're going to learn just as much, of course. So let's get into it. And I want to maybe set the stage of blood sugar, glucose, and talk about the implications of that. Because I still feel, well, generally, maybe people know, especially my audience, like what blood sugar imbalances can do, but I'd like to get even deeper into things that are surprising or shocking as to the links to blood sugar. Before I want to ask that question, I, something popped my mind. I want to just give you props. As a writer and an educator, I very much loved reading your book because you're such a like funny, witty, you make something as, as, as academic as blood sugar metabolism so fun. So thank you for, for, for writing the book in, in the way that you did. Thanks, Will. That's really kind of you. Yeah, I really wanted to make this topic something enjoyable to learn about. You know, I say I make science sexy. Like that's really my intention because there's so much information out there in scientific papers and it's just begging to be in the hands of the public. But somebody needs to sit there and translate, you know, the scientific papers into something that's understandable. So thank you so much. It means a lot, especially coming from you. Oh my goodness. So let's talk about what are blood sugar spikes? Like how, how does someone know they have it? And let's talk about some of the short-term effects first, and then we'll get into the long-term effects. Sounds great. So 
One thing I want to preface this with is that for a long time, I thought that only people with diabetes should care about their blood sugar levels. Like that's kind of, I think, where many people are today. They think that unless you have diabetes, glucose levels are not your concern. In the past five years, we've actually discovered that that's not at all the case. So scientists have found that up to 80% of the population, so up to 80% of people who do not have diabetes, still can experience these glucose spikes every day. And these glucose spikes have many, many consequences, like cravings, being hungry every 90 minutes, having energy crashes mid-morning, mid-afternoon. I mean, I was so familiar with these things. I, I thought they were just a normal part of life. And then glucose spikes increase inflammation, they increase aging, they can cause all sorts of hormonal disruptions and imbalances. Uh, they make weight gain easier. And then they sort of set the stage for lots of chronic long-term conditions. So the bottom line is everybody should learn about blood sugar and care about their glucose levels because it helps you feel better today, like literally today, but also it prevents you from getting so many long-term problems. Yeah. So what are some of the long-term effects? I mean, you kind of touched on that longevity, but what's the data show these long-term effects if we don't get our blood sugar under control? So one thing I've been diving into very recently, actually, is the link between glucose and your brain and long-term degeneration of the brain, the mm. link between glucose and dementia, Alzheimer's. It's becoming more and more clear that over a, a lifetime of repeated glucose spikes, your brain slowly starts to suffer the consequences. And we actually call Alzheimer's type 3 diabetes or diabetes of the brain. So the links there are very fascinating. It appears that basically you want to keep your glucose levels as steady as possible to help your brain when you're older. Second big thing I think is that the more glucose spikes you have on a daily basis, the more likely you're going to develop type 2 diabetes. I mean, those are like incredibly correlated. That's another really big one. And more and more people are developing type 2 diabetes. And then one thing that I think is fascinating is that actually... The more glucose spikes you have, the faster you age. Mm. So there's a process that happens in our body called glycation. And glycation is essentially the process of aging. And it's kind of similar to the process of cooking, actually. So when you put you know, <laughs> a chicken in the oven and it goes from being pink to being brown, it actually has been glycated over the, over the time it's been in the oven. And from the moment we're born, Will, we slowly glycate we slowly age, we slowly cook. And then when we're fully cooked, we die. <laughs> and we can't, we we're can't stop We're slowly this. cooking chicken, cook, cook chicken. I never exactly. thought of it like Just that. That's a great living analogy. Living our brief life, <laughs> cooking away. <laughs> and, you know, we can't stop this process. It's just a part of life. But the more glucose spikes we have, especially from sweet foods, the faster glycation happens. So the more glucose spikes you have, the faster you age. And this shows on your skin, so you get wrinkles faster, but also on the inside, your organs slowly deteriorate. And then last link I will make that I think is important for people to know is that the more glucose spikes you have in your body, the more you increase inflammation. And inflammation is just the bedrock to so many chronic diseases, you know, from cancer to any sort of neurodegenerative issue. Inflammation is really a big problem that the population is facing today. I think the stat is that three out of five people are going to die of an inflammation-based disease. Mm. So the more glucose spikes you have, the more you're going to have inflammation in your body. So those are all the long-term things, but they're really real. But also, 
if you manage your glucose levels, you also help yourself short term, like today and tomorrow. And yeah. I think that's what makes it motivating. Because if it's just yeah. long term stuff, I think it's hard for people to get motivated. Yeah. yeah, but when you look at like the things you mentioned, brain fog, fatigue, weight loss, resistance, cravings, cravings that, that's hunger, mm-hmm. ubiquitous and nobody wants to have them. People want to feel better. Something that I know I see clinically a lot and you touched upon it in the book, which I haven't seen someone really straightforwardly talk about it is the link between thyroid health and blood sugar. Can you talk about Mm. that specifically? You know, actually that's an area where I feel like I have so much more to learn. Mm. And what I know is that, you know, your thyroid and your hormonal system and your blood sugar levels are very correlated and that in order for your thyroid or any of your hormones to work Mm. properly in your body, your blood sugar needs to be balanced. I recently did did a live Instagram with Elisa Vitti, and she talks specifically about female hormones and the link to blood sugar regulation. Mm -hmm. But essentially, it feels like if your glucose is out of whack, anything that has to do with your hormones is going to be completely messed up. Mm -hmm. If you have any hormonal issues, you have to first fix your glucose level. Have you all heard about HelloFresh yet? If you haven't, you have to check this out. My family and I love HelloFresh. You can get farm fresh, pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. You can skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. HelloFresh's festive fare collection features limited time recipes made with seasonal produce and premium proteins. Get out of the post-holiday slump with these elevated winter classics. If you're looking for an easy way to eat and save money, you have to check this out. You can cut back on expensive takeout and delivery and get started with HelloFresh. You'll love how fast, easy, and affordable it is to whip up a restaurant quality meal right in your own kitchen. I'm busy consulting patients at the telehealth center all day long. I'm I'm tired after a long day in the best of ways. I love what I get to do. But you know, when you're putting your all into what you do, you want to relax at the end of the day. And HelloFresh makes it very easy and convenient for myself or my wife or even my kids. We get our kids in on making HelloFresh meals because it's something that you can do together and it's something they can honestly do on their own now that my kids are a little bit older. So go to HelloFresh.com slash WillCole21 and use code WillCole21 for 21 free meals plus free shipping. Again, that's HelloFresh.com slash WillCole21 and use code WillCole21 for 21 free meals plus free shipping. Hey girl, hey, welcome to Taste of Taylor, my weekly podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Strecker. You might know me from Sirius XM Radio. I mean, I was there for like 12 years after all, but then Howard Stern allegedly got jealous of me, so I had to leave. I was actually able to pull myself up by the bootstraps and start my own podcast, Taste of Taylor, which is now officially with Dear Media. I'm so excited to say that. Ha! So I promise you in this podcast, you're going to either learn about something, you're going to be inspired by someone that's like always coming from a perspective of like humor, then this is the place for you. I hope you enjoy this little snack. But tell me you will actually, because I want to learn from you on this particular topic. Like what do you see clinically? Right. And my mind goes to the inflammatory connection that you mentioned and then that neuroinflammation that's going on because of that blood sugar volatility really 
in many ways for patients, I see impact that hypothalamic pituitary thyroid axis. So it's that brain thyroid axis issue. And then the downstream ripple effect of underconversion of T4 to T3. I find that when we get blood sugar balanced, the conversion of T4 to T3, you'll see free T3 levels, total T3 levels come up and that HPT axis, because you'll see people that have quote unquote normal TSHs, right? That, that pituitary brain hormone, but they are, you'll see basically subclinical, normal looking TSH, but it's hypothyroidism that's secondary to pituitary hypofunctions. You'll see like very sluggish T4, sluggish T3, and then they go and they go downstream and they affect, okay, let's just boost up the T4, T3, which there's a place for that sometimes. But ultimately it's like, what's the context in which they have that? And because you mentioned the ubiquity of blood sugar dysregulation, it's such a fundamental thing that I'm not saying that's going to be the only piece of people's thyroid puzzle, but it, it is so widely, the blood sugar problems are so common that we need to realize this is a piece of the thyroid puzzle for many people. Yes. And this makes me think when you said the conversion issue, so there's another problem that happens when you have a lot of blood glucose spikes is that if you're female, your body can no longer very efficiently convert any excess male hormones to female hormones. So you get sort of an overcrowding of testosterone in a female body. And that often is one of the reasons that females will exhibit polycystic ovarian syndrome or right. other sorts of symptoms. Like they get, you know, beards, they lose hair on their heads, their menstruation stops, they stop ovulating. And so one way that this is, you know, quote unquote masked is by taking the pill. So this will bring up the level of female hormones in the body, restoring some of that balance, but not fixing the underlying issue, which is that mm -hmm. there's a glucose issue here, actually an insulin issue that is causing that imbalance in the first place. So what I see a lot in my community is females who have been on the pill for a very long time because they were told they had PCOS. They stopped the pill because they want to have a baby. All of a sudden, they're not having their periods anymore. They're not ovulating because, aha, when you take away the pill, the problem comes back. And so then they go on this journey of helping their glucose levels. And the good news is I have lots of easy hacks that help you balance your glucose levels without doing anything we'll too difficult. About, yeah, we'll talk about yeah, that. Yeah, sure. of course. And so then, you know, the balance returns. And overall, Will, I think that for a lot of our symptoms that we feel today, we have a tendency to medicate them or feel guilty about them or feel shame, ashamed about them. When actually, I think it's more interesting to think about what if these symptoms are your body trying to tell you something? Yes. What if instead of suppressing them, you engage with them and you're like, okay, like what's, what is actually going on underneath? Mm -hmm. And very often, if you have a glucose issue, then all of these symptoms are going to be your body telling you, Will, help, there's glucose spikes <laughs> underneath. And this is what happened to me, you know, so I know it for a fact. But switching that is really part of the process, I think, of learning about your glucose and then healing. I love that paradigm shift as these are, these are nudges from the body. Like take, notice me, I'm here. Yes. Let's do something Your about this. Your body's trying to speak to you. You just yeah. don't know how to listen. Exactly. So the, I'm glad we're, we're, we're teaching people body talk here in today's conversation. <laughs> Another hormonal problem, I thank you for highlighting PCOS. So many people still don't know that PCOS is really driven by the this insulin resistance spectrum that we're facing as a society. Another thing that I see with men, if you could touch on, is this sort of over aromatization because of blood sugar problems or they they have low testosterone and they think, oh, I have just to get my tea up. I have to get my, my testosterone levels up, but it's really upstream root level driven 
by their blood sugar dysregulation. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yes. And I'm going to mention this amazing study that shows that if you're under the age of 40 and you have erectile dysfunction and you don't know why, and you're a male, it's often because you have a glucose issue. So anything that touches to your hormonal system, again, your your hormones, they need blood sugar balance to be able to balance themselves out. Regardless of your body, glucose spikes are going to deregulate things. So in females, you know, you're going to have way too much male hormones. In males, you're going to have the opposite. It just throws everything out of balance. And then from a fertility perspective, you know, your body kind of feels when there's too much insulin around because of too many glucose spikes and other reasons. And it just reduces your fertility levels. And so another study shows us that the more glucose spikes you have, the more insulin you have in your body, the less fertile you are. There's a direct correlation. It's as if your body was saying, if you have too much glucose and too much insulin, you probably should not reproduce. So we're just not even going to allow you to mm-hmm. do this natural thing. So yeah, the hormone thing is such an interesting piece, Will. I think it's fascinating. If you have a hormonal issue, look at your glucose levels first. Of course, it's not the only thing as you mentioned so well, but it's definitely the first place to look and the first place to make sure that Mm -hmm. everything is working properly. Yeah, without a doubt. Let's talk about food and its connection to our blood sugar. You talk about through the book, you, you really educate us on a lot of conflation, I think, within the wellness space, a lot of confusion out there between starches, fibers, fruits, like how do people make sense of this stuff? What's, is it, is it hurting us? Is it good for us? What's, even if it's a, a quote unquote healthy whole food, could it be messing up our blood sugar? Oh, what a wonderful question. I have so much to say. Okay. So let's bring it back one second. So every cell in your body will uses glucose for energy. It's your body's preferred energy source. Okay. So every single cell in your body from your hand cells to your eye cells, to your feet cells, to your heart cells, every cell wants to use glucose for energy. And the main way as humans that we get glucose is by eating food, by eating starchy foods like bread, pasta, potatoes, rice, or sweet foods. So anything that tastes sweet from an orange to a cookie. Okay. So starches and sugars give glucose to the body. And so a common place people go is like, oh, well, if starches and sugars give me energy and I want lots of energy, I'm just going to eat as much starch and sugar as possible so that I give my body as much energy as possible. Well, that's where the logic breaks down. It's sort of like if you have to take care of a plant, you have some beautiful cactuses or cacti behind you right now, as I see. And if you had lent me one and you were like, Jesse, take care of my cactus, <laughs> I would know I need to give the cactus a little bit of water, not too much, a little bit. But if I give the cactus too much water, the cactus will drown and die. Okay, so the cactus needs a bit of water, too much causes problems. The human body needs a little bit of glucose, but too much causes issues. Mm-hmm. So... That's to ground us. A little bit is good, too much is a problem. And the main way that we give our body too much glucose is by eating meals that contain too much starch and too much sugar, okay? So that's the first place to go. Like if you're just eating more and more starches and more and more sugars, you're gonna have more glucose in your body. Mm -hmm. But it's not just that simple because we have other things in our food that also have an impact on our glucose levels. So let's look first at proteins and fats. So proteins is, you know, 
think people have a pretty good understanding of what protein is. It's found in animal foods, dairy, so you know your Greek yogurts, your eggs, your meats, your fishes, etc. There's also some plant-based proteins. I think tofu is probably the most well-known one. So protein is actually pretty helpful to your blood sugar levels. And if you add protein to a meal, you actually tend to decrease the blood sugar spike of the meal. So you're able to more slowly deliver the glucose from the starches and the sugars Mm -hmm. to your body. And that's what we're trying to do, Will. We're trying to slow down the speed at which the glucose is coming from food to bloodstream. Other important thing to know, so fats, I think people also know what those are, but I will say some examples of things that are fatty foods. So avocados, you know, butter, oils, Fat is not to be feared. Healthy fat is actually incredibly important to the body, and we definitely need to add it to our meals as well to reduce the glucose spike. Now, there's one element that is an absolute superpower in the world of glucose, and that is fiber. So fiber is mostly found in plants. And the main way to get fiber into your diet is through eating vegetables. Okay, so vegetables are like big, beautiful fiber packets. So here's an interesting thing. We've discovered, scientists have discovered, that if during a meal you eat the vegetables first, so what contains fiber, you can actually reduce the glucose spike of the meal by up to 75% without changing what you're eating at all. So now we know that the order in which we eat our food can really impact our glucose levels. So let's say your next meal is like broccoli, rice, chicken. If you eat the broccoli first, so you go broccoli, then you eat the protein, chicken, and then you eat the starches, the rice, your glucose spike will be up to 75% smaller than if you ate the rice first and then the rest. So what I try to do in my book is I teach people what are the different things that you find in food, starch, sugar, protein, fat, fiber, and then these interesting tips to combine them, to order them so that you can still eat everything you love, but you can reduce those glucose spikes that are harming you. I love that. So how close together do you, can you be eating these things? If you start with the, with the fiber-rich food to buffer that blood sugar spike, are we talking about waiting a half an hour? Can we eat it right afterwards? What's, what's the data show? What's your recommendation? So in the studies, they test lots of different timings, like 10 minutes, 20 minutes. I've actually found that you don't have to wait at all. Great. Like if you don't wait at all, it still has a big impact on your glucose. And these things, you know, these concepts and these scientific discoveries, we have to think about them as information, mm-hmm. but we don't have to do them all the time. So if you're eating like a sandwich, for example, don't bother, you know, dissecting the sandwich and eating the lettuce first. That's just kind of a hassle. (laughs) I'm going to completely break up my sandwich and eat it. Lettuce first. (laughs) Will, you would be so surprised. Like some people take it that far. I believe so. I believe so. Yeah, you believe it. Yeah. But in that case, you know, what's important is just like, think about adding a plate of vegetables at the beginning of your meal. So before your sandwich, have a little side salad, for example, even like a couple of raw carrots or some leftover broccoli from your fridge. Bring in that fiber first into your meal. Because what happens like on a biological level is that when the fiber arrives first in your intestine, it deploys itself onto the walls of your intestine, onto your gut lining. And there it makes a sort of like 
transformers, like protective, cool mesh that sits there for a couple of hours. And that mesh is so important because what it does is that when glucose comes down a bit later during the meal from the starches or the sugars, that mesh helps your body not absorb the glucose molecules too fast. It actually reduces the speed and the amount of glucose molecules that make it through your bloodstream, through mm. to your bloodstream. But you're still eating the same stuff. Got it. Which is really key. You don't have to change what you're eating so much, but these small tips can get you a long way towards blood sugar balance. Got it. So you mentioned eating more or less the same things. You're just teaching us hacks to how to what order to eat these things in specific ways. And we'll go into other fa- hacks today too. To live your healthiest, longest life possible, you need to understand what's going on inside. Inside Tracker takes a personalized bio-individual approach to health and longevity from the most trusted and relevant source, your body. Inside Tracker was created by experts in aging, genetics, and biometric data from Harvard, Tufts, and MIT. Inside Tracker provides a personalized health analysis and clear recommendations plus an action plan on how to live a healthier, longer life. Inside Tracker can also calculate your biological age. You can actually see the rate at which you're aging from the inside out compared to your chronological age, as well as ways to lower your biological age. I, you have to check this out. You can, when you see how you're aging from the inside out, it will empower you to follow through with the recommendations that Inside Tracker is going to give you to improve your lab data. I love this. What I also love about Inside Tracker is that they give you these recommendations on things you can actually control. You have agency over to optimize your health, like which foods to focus on based on your lab data, what supplements you should focus on based on your bio individuality, your lab data what workouts are right for you, what other lifestyle choices. This is just brilliant bio-individuality at its best. And now for a limited time, you can save on Inside Tracker and you can get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store when you sign up. So if you're ready to get a personalized plan to build strength, speed up recovery, optimize longevity, increase your energy, improve your sleep, then you can grab your discount at insidetracker.com forward slash art of being well. That's insidetracker.com forward slash art of being well. Should the average person be curious about how much sugar they're having? Or do you feel like that's not necessary if you do these hacks? And then that's my first part of my question is grams of sugar in a day or carbohydrates. And then fiber, do you feel like we should be intentional with hitting a certain gram threshold of fiber or doesn't it matter? Mm. So to your first point, to listen, in an ideal world, we're not eating starches and sugars because actually we don't need to. If we don't eat any glucose, our body makes it from within. So you don't actually need to eat starches and sugars for energy, but they're really delicious. They're a part of culture. They're cheap. Like there's lots of good reasons to yeah. eat starches People enjoy and sugars. Them, yeah. Exactly. What I find is that I want to help people become less controlled by them. So I often hear the term, oh, I'm addicted to sugar. I can't stop eating sugar. Mm -hmm. I can't stop eating starchy foods. 
And actually what's probably happening is because you're eating starchy foods, you're creating these glucose spikes and then the glucose drops are making you crave even more starchy and sweet foods. Mm -hmm. So the hacks I teach allow you to still enjoy those starches and sugars without starting a glucose roller coaster. So without continuing or reinforcing the addiction. And I think naturally as you do that, you just crave less starch and less sugar. Mm-hmm. So if you have a lot of willpower and you say, I'm going to stop all sugars, good for you. Like, that's awesome. Congrats. <laughs> I could never do that. Mm-hmm. Completely impossible. I think it's easier to go a bit slow, slowly. Start with the hacks so that slowly you just naturally are like, oh, wow, I don't even want to eat chocolate cake anymore. You mm-hmm. know, that's how I would recommend. In terms of the grams per day. So actually the best amount of sugar to eat per day is zero grams. Like there's no reason to eat sugar. It's just for pleasure. Your body does not need to eat to have sugar. It is just pleasure and then some downsides on your health. So I think the AHA says 50 grams is the limit, but really, I mean, it should be zero grams. Mm-hmm. But I eat sugar all the time. I love sugar. Like I just had some chocolate. I just can't, I just love it. You know, pleasure is a big part of life. So it's right, like, how right. do you eat it in a way that has less impact on your health? That's, that's really my philosophy, teaching people to do that. I love that. And then fiber, it seems like we yeah. don't really have to be super obsessive about the amount of fiber. Just make sure we're getting it at every meal. Should we be having, should we be supplementing with extra fiber or, if, or is our food enough if we're being intentional with that? I think if you add a veggie starter to your lunch and your dinner, you're probably going to be hitting the amount of fiber you should be having. But okay. I think it's pretty appalling. Like I can't remember the exact number, but the vast majority of people are not getting enough fiber in their diet. So supplementing. I mean, that's not for me to say, I think, you know, speak to your doctor and figure out your personal plan. What I can tell you is that probably you're not getting enough fiber and that by adding the fiber at the beginning of a meal with your veggies is going to be the best thing to do for your glucose levels. So if you're going to have veggies anytime at the beginning of a meal is going to be the most ideal glucose time. Got it. And then should our fats be next or doesn't, it, is it just fiber first and the rest order doesn't matter so much? So fiber first is the most important thing. However, in the studies, they then say proteins and fats next is most ideal and then starches and sugars last. What I have found is that if you just focus on veggies first, the rest matters a bit less because the veggies is such a big piece of why this works because that fiber protective transformers mesh, like that's really the main reason that this is so powerful. I love that. And you highlighted such an interesting topic within science that I, I yeah, still find fascinating is the, you know, the fact that there are essential amino acids, meaning proteins, there's essential fatty acids, there's no such thing as essential carbohydrates. And your body, our bodies are so freaking amazing that through gluconeogenesis, we'll actually make sugar out of <laughs> magic. It'll be magic. How, how does that work? I mean, what if we had for the person that's out there like, I didn't know that. Like, what's going on yeah. there? How, how can our body do that? Our body is amazing. So think about the fact that every single living thing on the earth actually uses glucose for energy. Wow. From the bamboo in your garden to dolphins in the ocean to the cactus behind your will to you and I, human beings. And if you look at a dolphin, like a dolphin does not eat carbs. A dolphin eats other fish and stuff. And those fish are mostly protein and fat. And so dolphins need glucose. Their body makes glucose from the other food that they're eating. And we have that same ability as human beings. That being said, we also have a really great ability to, you know, plant plants 
And we have all these crazy processes that extract the starch from all these plants and make bread and pasta and rice. And that's super cool. And we should take advantage of it because again, it's a cheap, delicious source of energy. But we have to remember, we don't actually need to do that from a biological perspective. And so there's a big lie that's been going around for a very long time now. The lie is you must eat sugar for breakfast so that you have energy for the whole day. And I used to believe that. You know, I grew up having orange juice and a Nutella crepe every morning. And then by 1030, I was super freaking famished and exhausted. Yeah. My mom would have special K with a bunch of white sugar on it. <laughs> Our mom. That's just how. Yeah, I know. They didn't know any better. Them. <laughs> no, but like you know, the 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 lobbies and the marketing was so powerful. Like, right. how could you not? They're just doing that? the best, right? But they, that's what exactly. they were told. Yeah. And then the thing is, when you eat sugar, when you eat something sweet, you actually have a sensation of having energy because the sweetness releases dopamine in your brain. And that dopamine makes you feel awake and alive for a little bit. You're like, woo, sugar rush. Everybody knows that (laughs) feeling. Everybody knows it. But that is actually not energy. That is pleasure in your brain. And what's actually happening, if you look deep into your cells, is that with every sugar spike, you're actually hurting the tiny little mitochondria in your cells that are responsible for making energy. The little mitochondria, when there are big glucose spikes, they sort of shut down. They get really overwhelmed. They go and strike. They get really stressed because they can't handle such a big influx of glucose all at once. And long-term, what happens is that those mitochondria become less and less able to make energy. So you end up in situations where you're chronically fatigued, Will, but you keep eating sugar every morning because you think that's what you need to do for energy. Mm-hmm. But no, you're getting pleasure, but long-term, your energy is just going completely kaput. And the studies show us that if you take two breakfasts, same, ca- same number of calories, one creates a big glucose spike, so lots of starches and sugars, and the other one doesn't, you see that the one that does not create the glucose spike actually leads to more available energy in the body than the one that creates the big glucose spike. So that is a massive, massive myth that I'm here to debunk. I have a whole chapter on it in my book. It's something I'm very passionate about just because I lived it every day <laughs> from you know zero to 18 years old. So it feels like something I really want people to know. I, I love that. Thank you for busting that myth. Do you, so you could, people can obviously pick up how like they're feeling intuitively. Okay, I have these symptoms. These, these could be po- good pointers that I may have a blood sugar problem. Are there any labs that you recommend or maybe at home? Like, do you recommend a continuous glucose monitor? What can people do to look at data to see where their blood sugar is? What's their baseline? So from the studies, we know one thing that's really interesting is that, sure, once a year, you may be looking at your fasting glucose level with your doctor. Okay. And that's fine. That's great. That's used to diagnose whether you have prediabetes or diabetes. Okay. Fabulous. But actually, there's another lab that it's much more helpful in telling you whether you have a glucose issue, and that is your fasting insulin. Mm. Your insulin levels can actually predict an issue 10 years before your fasting glucose levels become something that has been flagged as abnormal. Mm -hmm. And every time you have a glucose spike, 
your body releases insulin as actually a protection mechanism. Your body is trying to take that excess glucose and store it away in your muscles, in your liver, and in your fat cells. And it, do, it does that by sending this wonderful hormone insulin that takes the glucose and stores it away. Over years of glucose spikes, that level of insulin is going to start going up and up and up and up and up. At some point, no matter how much your body is sending out insulin, it just can't do its job properly anymore. You become resistant to insulin. A little bit like if your whole life you drank coffee and you know when you start drinking coffee one cup and you're so wired and then fast forward 30 years later and you need five cups to feel that you're waking up in the morning <laughs> same thing happens with insulin yeah. your body needs more and more and more and then it's completely desensitized and so at that point will at that point your glucose levels start rising but actually you would have been able to predict that the issue was happening 10 years before with the insulin right Man, I thank you. You're, you're literally speaking my love language. I see this on labs all the time with patients where you see the high hyperinsulinemia, you see the, the high insulin, but their glucose looks fine. Their, their mm -hmm. A1C looks good, but their insulin insulin's through the roof and triglycerides will oftentimes see really high too because that's another compensatory mechanism, right? The body's like, let's get that glucose down, convert it in tri, tri, into triglycerides. And the analogy that I, I say to people is that this is like, a proverbial Paul Revere on a metabolic level, like diabetes is coming, diabetes is coming, where yeah. it's like they can arrest, calm that and reverse that before it ever gets to the point of, of insulin, of type two diabetes. Exactly. And so when people say, oh, unless you have diabetes, you shouldn't care about your glucose levels. That is absolute bullshit because diabetes happens after years of glucose spikes. Yeah. So yeah, sure. You might not be diagnosed with diabetes until 20 years down the line, but I can tell you, like, you need to be looking at your glucose levels way before that so that you don't even get to that point. Yeah. You have full power on your glucose levels, your insulin levels. It's all through the food that you eat and these hacks that you apply. Like, we have full power. Type 2 diabetes is not a genetic disease that you just get and can't do anything about. It's fully in your control. However, I understand fully that when somebody is diagnosed with that condition, it feels daunting to be mm -hmm. like, oh my God, you have to go on a diet. Like, I'd rather take a pill. Like, that just seems like too complicated because we're sold the fact that the changes have to be really intense and really drastic and they're going to be super painful if you want to reverse this. Actually, what I found through the studies that I share in my work is that there's simple things you can do, like this veggies first, mm -hmm. like having a savory instead of a sweet breakfast, like putting clothing on your carbs, like adding vinegar, like walking after meals, like there's all these little things you can do. They're super easy. They're free. They're very like non-rigid. Yeah. Exactly. Low cost. And they'll help you, you know, with those chronic conditions, but also with your short-term just energy, yeah. cravings, mental health. Love it. So let's go over some of the hacks. You touched on them. We talked about eating foods in the right order. People need to start doing that. We all need to start doing that. Adding the greens, fiber stuff first. One of the other hacks, and we're going to go over a few of the ones that are in the book. They have to get the book to read all the hacks, but we're going to go over some of them today. Stop counting calories, you advise, yeah. which I love that. I give people the freedom to not be bound by that. What's the connection with our blood sugar? So the number of calories in a food tells you nothing about what the food is going to do to you. Mm -hmm. It tells you nothing about the molecules in the food. You know how they first measured calories? They used this thing called a calorie meter and it was invented like 150 years ago or something. And the way it worked is that the scientists had a little box and they put the food they want to measure the calories of in the box. 
Then they light the food on fire. They close the box. They put the box in another box that contains water. <laughs> what? <laughs> and then they measure. Yeah. And then they measure by how many degrees the burning food is warming up the water that's surrounds wow. it. Wow. I did not know that. So that's why you can take a donut and a head of broccoli or whatever. <laughs> and if they <laughs> heat up the water as they burn by the same number of degrees, you say they have the same number of calories. Can you see how that gives us zero information? Right. It's like saying, oh, these two books both have 500 pages in them. They must be the same. <laughs> right. <laughs> Wonderful analogy. All, yes. Not at all the same situation. So, Will, of course, calories matter. Like if you compare a thousand calories of pizza versus 10,000 calories of pizza, like of course, the 10,000 calories of pizza is going to have more of an impact on your body. So, they're not completely useless. They're just a measure of like one, temperature <laughs> rising and two, like quantity. Okay. But if you want to feel better and if you want to lose fat on your body, focusing on calories is not going to be the most efficient thing to do because if you're eating in a way that creates big glucose spikes, even if you're eating really low calorie, you might still be creating insulin release. You might be creating more cravings. You might be making yourself hungrier. You might be creating inflammation, aging, dysregulating your hormones, hurting your mental health. Like you can have a really, really, really bad time. You can be eating the same number of calories, but if you're doing it in a way that keeps your glucose levels steady, things just naturally become so much easier. Your body goes back into balance and naturally you actually lose fat without really trying. That's what I hear from my community, Will, is that if you just focus on the glucose hacks and on balancing your glucose levels and you completely stop counting calories, very naturally, actually, you lose weight as a consequence of your body coming back into balance, as a consequence of your body becoming healthier. Weight loss in this case is a consequence of health, not like a thing we're trying to just muscle our way through by eating 500 calories a day. That's a recipe for having a really shitty time mm -hmm. and not helping your health at all. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I agree with you. So you mentioned about vinegar. So what's the deal about vinegar? What type of vinegar? How, how, how can we use vinegar? How does it help our blood sugar? It's quite fascinating. So when I first learned about this, I thought it was a fad. I was like, no way, this is real. You know, it sounded <laughs> like a, another juice cleanse or some crazy <laughs> shit. <laughs> and actually, it turns out, Will, that vinegar has been used for millennia in many different cultures around the world as something that was helping people with their health. So in ancient Egypt, for example, doctors used to give a vinegar tea to people with diabetes. In the Middle East, in countries like Iran, People have been making their own vinegar in their families, drinking it, you know, on a daily basis without really knowing how it worked and why it was so helpful. Now we know because we have all these amazing scientific teams that are able to look inside our bodies and see what's happening. So one tablespoon of vinegar eaten before a meal can reduce the glucose spike of that meal by up to 30% without changing what you're eating in the meal. Just by adding a tablespoon of vinegar, either to your vegetable starter, which is what I like to do because it's so easy. You make a little dressing, wada wada. Or you can actually, you know, do like they do in the studies and drink it in a big glass of water if you like the taste. This reduces the glucose spike of the meal. How does it work? Vinegar does three really cool things. Number one, it slows down how quickly starch turns to glucose 
in your digestive system. So it slows down how quickly those glucose molecules are going to be arriving into your intestine and then into your bloodstream. It reduces the spike, which is what we want to do. Second thing that vinegar does, it goes to your muscles and it tells your muscles to soak up glucose as it arrives in your bloodstream, mm. reducing the glucose spike. And third thing vinegar does, it goes to your mitochondria in your cells and it tells your mitochondria to burn more fat. So just a little tablespoon of the substance that most of us have in our kitchen has profound effects on your glucose levels and on your health. It's quite fascinating. It and it can be any type of vinegar. Okay, so it doesn't matter. I'm thinking like apple cider vinegar with the mother. It doesn't matter. Any. It doesn't matter. So the apple cider vinegar one is like the more, more trendy one, but actually any vinegar works. So white vinegar, rice vinegar, cherry vinegar, whatever, because they all contain acetic acid. And that's Got the it. molecule that we're after. The acetic the acid. One that I, exactly. The one I recommend you avoid is like very sweet balsamic vinegar, just because... Because of the sugar it has in it, it's going to sort of counteract the effect. Defeating the but, purpose of it, yeah. Yeah. But if you love balsamic, like it's totally fine. Just have it. Just know that it might not work on your glucose spikes as well as another vinegar. Got it. Another hack that you have in the book that is so simple, completely free, is after we eat, move. Mm-hmm. Novel idea. Like, what, it's so, like <laughs> why don't we do that? But it's, <laughs> it's like, we don't. We don't do it. And many people don't do it because they don't even know the importance of it. There's so like, there's yeah. all these fancy workouts to do. They just underestimate the power of just moving and walking. What's the research show? So your muscles are also big consumers of glucose, like everything in your body. And when you go from like sitting in your couch to sprinting after the bus, the amount of glucose that your muscle cells need goes from zero to 10,000 X. So there's a real, real, real increase in consumption of glucose by your muscles when they're moving, when they're exercising. Your muscles are really hungry when they move. The first place that your muscles look when they're looking for glucose is in your bloodstream. And so we can use this to our advantage. Here's what the research shows. If you do 10 minutes of movement after a meal, this can be walking, folding your laundry, dancing in your living room. You can also go to the gym if you want, like whatever. You can do squats in front of the TV, which is one of my favorites. (laughs) (laughs) If you do this, you significantly, significantly lower the glucose spike of the meal you just had. And you need to do this within an hour and a half after the end of your meal. And so what's really interesting is that as you do this and you reduce the glucose spike of the meal, then all of the usual symptoms that people get usually after 90 minutes after eating, like having a craving for something sweet, feeling hungry again, feeling tired, like those things go away because you're flattening mm. the glucose curve. And again, this is a hack that does not require you to change what you're eating, you know? Right. So super powerful one that I love that I use almost every day. And you say people don't do it, but actually, again, like... Traditionally, many cultures have a tradition of walking after meals. Right. You know, in Greece, they do this. In India, they have this saying of 100 steps after a meal. Like, it's as if we knew this. Yeah, intuitively. For a really long time, but we just kind of disconnected from that knowledge. Yeah. We're just getting back to what humans would have traditionally done for a long time. Exactly. Now, and, and now we have the exciting science to back it up. The mechanism. Exactly. Now we can see how it works. <laughs> yeah. So it makes it more convincing than just doing what your grandparents have done. <laughs> yeah, right. Grandma, quit walking. So <laughs> what is there? So how long do we have to move? Does it matter? What's, what's the research? 
So just 10 minutes seemed to work. There's also a study that came out recently showing that like three minutes was effective. I mean, essentially, the more you move, the bigger the impact. But I find that 10 minutes is kind of the sweet spot. 10 minutes, got it. Because it's easy to do and it starts having real benefits. And if you only have time, Will, to do like two cartwheels, I don't know why I said cartwheels, but if you just have time to do two (laughs) cartwheels and that's it, that's also fine. Well, that's perfect because I do that. I do that anyways, two or three. I knew, I knew you did that every day. I could tell from your Used to be in the circus. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Or if you're at the office and you have, you know, you can just like go up and down the stairs of your office building twice or like you're in a meeting. And you can like contract your calf muscles, like whatever, <laughs> just like use your muscles to yeah. help you process the meal. Move it or lose it. Yeah. Every lunch, actually, I we eat food. Most of the people, not most, I'd say about half of the people at the clinic, we go on a quick, brisk walk for about 20 minutes in between patients. And it's that's what that's why we do it. You inspired us. Fabulous. Really? Oh my God, that's so awesome. Yeah. That's so awesome. And we're trying to get everybody else to join us, but some people want, want uh, maybe I'll just have them flex their, their, their leg muscles or do some cartwheels. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) Each his own. Yeah, right. (laughs) It's a no shame zone. I'm not making people go on a walk with me if they don't want to. But the, the, in the book, you talk about, you mentioned it in passing here is to put some clothes on our carbs. So are we putting maybe a onesie on our Nutella crepe or what are, what are we doing? Yes, what do you mean by that? you're putting actual t-shirts on your bananas, <laughs> like actual gloves. <laughs> so, okay, so I mentioned earlier that, so carbs are starches and sugars. So starches, you know, bread, pasta, rice, potatoes, and sugars, anything sweet from fruit to cookies. If you eat those carbs on their own, like as a snack, for example, that's what I call eating them naked, meaning alone. And the issue is when you eat carbs naked, all of the glucose in those carbs is very quickly going to go through your system and into your bloodstream and bam, big glucose spike. Got it. So here's the hack. Put some clothing on them. Clothing being not t-shirts, but <laughs> protein, fat, or fiber. So my favorite clothing on carb combinations are putting some cheese on my bread, having my fondant chocolate cake with a Greek yogurt, having pasta with spinach and olive oil and some Parmesan cheese. You know, like thinking about combining your food so that your carbs are never naked. Mm -hmm. And the reason that works is because then in your digestive system, the the clothing is just going to slow down how quickly the glucose is going to go through. So smaller glucose spike. And you might be thinking, oh, but that's just adding calories. Like, isn't that going to make me gain weight? with again, the calorie question, which is a very interesting one. So the thing is, if you eat a a carb naked, that's gonna make a big spike, then a big drop. We know those drops activate the craving center in our brain. So two hours after those naked carbs, you're gonna want another one. You're gonna feel tired, you're gonna feel hungry, you're gonna have cravings, and you're gonna be on this addiction roller coaster. If you put some clothing on those carbs, you're much less likely to create that roller coaster. So you're not gonna be hungry again. And you're going to be fine until the next meal. So overall, what I find is that you do not eat more calories. And in the studies, they do this experience where they ask people to eat as much as they want, okay, as long as they're eating in a way that keeps their glucose levels steady. And they find that these people lose more fat, more easily and more quickly than people who are on a calorie-restricted diet that spikes their glucose levels. Mm, So all that to say... All that to say, stop counting calories, focus on balancing your blood sugar, and you will feel, you know, from a mental perspective, 
just like a whole new person. Mm -hmm. And instead of being addicted to food and feeling controlled by these urges, you're going to be able to walk into a store and be like, ooh, I want that cake. Mm -hmm. Not because I need to have it, because I want to have it. And Mm -hmm. I'm going to get my favorite cake. And I'm going to watch my favorite movie and have my favorite cake and my favorite movie for pleasure. You're no longer going to feel like, oh, man, I need to eat something sweet and I have to not go buy that bakery. Otherwise, I'm not going to be able to resist. You know, it's a whole different world. Mm-hmm. I love it. It's the glucose revolution. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no more naked carbs, people. Come on, have some decency here. Close them up. I was thinking, Will, I should have like a little a get together where we actually draw clothing on fruit. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do an IG live one time. We're just people, Perfect. People will love it. I could talk to you so long about this stuff. You know, the podcast is called The Art of Being Well. At the end of every episode, this is your art of being well. This is the glucose goddess's art of being well. First question is, very curious about this. Maybe you don't have one, but maybe you do. What's the worst tasting healthy food that you will still have because it's so good for you, not necessarily because it tastes good? Like bone marrow and like (laughs) organ stuff. My mom used to force us to eat liver every Thursday and grew up in France and it was kind of a thing. So any sort of weird, just really good for me, organ meats or like the stuff inside the bones, like I just can't. But sometimes I'll be like, Jesse, it's good for you and I'll just eat it. I love it. It's true. I tried palatable. We get very creative with patients to try to get the organ meats and the bone marrow and the bone broth and that in. What is your dream vacation? If you had to pick, what's the ideal holiday? Okay. Big sailboat. Like big, like massive sailboat with like three massive sails. All of my favorite friends, lots of good food and like 10 days in a beautiful, like in the Greek islands. I love that. That sounds amazing. (laughs) You want to go? Should yes, go? let's go. Can I be one of the friends? I'll be there. <laughs> of course. Of, <laughs> of course. course. Awesome. What's, two, what are two, maybe let's not limit it. What are some supplements? Do are, Does the research point to any supplements for blood sugar balancing? And if so, what are they? So there's lots of stuff you can do. For example, berberine is something that's pretty popular. I know that supplementing with cinnamon also works long-term. But I'm kind of a proponent of try to get this Unless you know you have a specific reason and your doctor is doing some cool like personalized analysis on you, like try to just focus on whole foods because that'll get you most of the stuff that you need. I'm personally a massive fan of omega-3s. Like I take omega-3s almost every day. I also take vitamin K because again, that's in all those organ meats that I don't like eating (laughs) and probiotics. But that's really just for general health. For blood sugar specifically, like, you know, you could do vinegar capsules, But I think omega-3s are really important too. It's all kind of connected, you know? So my answer is, "Mm, not sure. Whatever floats your boats. What do you think, Will? All those, I am aware of the studies. Good good foundational things. But I 100%, I'm I'm like a broken record with my patients, is food is first. You cannot supplement your way out of a poor diet. So supplements are supplemental and they can definitely be therapeutic and move the needle. But, you know, it's a drop in the bucket if you don't, First, look at your food. Completely. Yeah. If you were able to live to the age of 100, all right, and keep either, you had to pick one, either the mind or the body of a 30-year-old for the last 70 years of your life, which one would you pick? 
I think the body, to be honest, just because I see so many people around me, you know, aging and starting to have body problems, breaking stuff, not able to do physical things they want to do anymore. And from, from my limited experience so far, you know, from people in my, in my environments, like that seems like, ah, oh, it's a hard one. Well, I want both. And I'm like, <laughs> well, the mind is also really freaking important. So I'm just going to go with my first intuition, the body. You, yeah. Yeah. I hear you. And I go back and forth through. And I think some people answer that question on elderly people that they know. And maybe, you know, look, cause Alzheimer's dementia is very can be horribly sad too to go through but yeah it's a it's just a, not a right or wrong answer it's just the thing is like if you have a, a young body then movement exercising being able to go places that's going to help your mind True. right love it so so maybe i would go that route and really make sure i'm using my body to help my mind which is the reason i exercise it's purely a mental health thing it's because it makes me feel better you know mm -hmm. so that's yeah that's where i would go i love it what's one spiritual practice or mindfulness practice that has really been like very helpful for you personally? There are a few journaling. I always have a notebook with me everywhere I go and I just write stuff in it. I put a lot of emotions in there, a lot of thoughts that really helps me. Grounding in the grass with my feet and my hands, that feels really good to me. And I just like lying in bed, you know, with my hands on, on my heart and my stomach and just kind of feeling whatever my body needs to feel and moving stuff in that way. So lots of little things. Meditation, I, I totally get, and I did it for a long time, but it's not the main thing I would go to. I would think one of my also big spiritual practices is actually stretching. Mm. Stretching to me releases a lot of energy, a lot of feelings. It's really a big part of my life. If you hang out with me, I'm always just on the floor, like doing pigeon and splits and stuff. <laughs> I just love it. I need it. <laughs> uh, but well, when you look at the research around fascia and how it can store trapped emotions and all, tons of things, right? I mean, that's really Absolutely. what you're, it's, it is quite a mindful spiritual experience for people to do fascia work and stretching. Mm -hmm. yeah. I don't do enough of it. I am convicted. I, I, that's my, my New Year's resolution every month. <laughs> okay. So on my boat, when we go on the vacation that yes. we just talked about, we'll have like daily stretching. Okay, perfect. I'm there. Sign me up, 7, 7 a.m. class on the yacht, Perfect. <laughs> on the sailboat. <laughs> what's, the, what's your favorite restaurant in the world? And when you're there, what do you order? Oh, my God. That is such a difficult question. Okay, I'm going to go for Maybe this. pick a European one and an American one. Or whatever, yeah, know. so there's one in Paris called La Poule au Pou. And there are actually two in Paris. One is a real one. One is a fake one. So be careful. <laughs> go to the, the fraud. Is, no, they go to the fraud one. It's just the most delicious French food ever. So I will have a beautiful like salad at the beginning. And then I'll have Ashi Parmentier, which is like meat baked with a potato gratin on top and like some French fries and some asparagus and like just mm, that's so good. That's my favorite European one. My favorite one. But how do we know in, the um, how we know the fake one from the real one? Because people are going to be walking around Paris like I'm at the fraud. You're right. Hold on, let me find the address of the real one. This is important important information. Okay, so the real one is nine rue Vauvilliers in the first arrondissement of Paris. Okay, La Poule au Pot, the the chicken in the pot. 
I love it. <laughs> Rue Vaubillier. There you go. And then in America, so I'm currently in LA and I really like Justa. And so I order a lot of the smoked salmon, just a lot of it. And I can just eat it by the pound. I just love it. What's it so called? Smoked, I've never been there before. Justa. Uh, G-J-U-S-T-A. It's amazing. So there's Jelena and Justa. I know Jelena. You got to check out Justa. They have this beautiful outdoor terrace. It's the best. So the smoked herbed salmon from Justa is my current favorite. Love it. Thank you for those tips. What's the weirdest wellness thing that you've done that you're willing to admit on a podcast? This morning, I tried to put apple cider vinegar in my coffee. <laughs> you're just like... I'm the glucose goddess. I'm going to try this. Yeah, literally. So I was posting it on Instagram and I almost puked. <laughs> so that's the, that's the weirdest thing I've ever done. <laughs> I love that you just made that today. <laughs> literally this morning, just hit I was a like, new this level. could be genius. This could have been the next level thing, but do not try it at home. The milk and the coffee split when I put the vinegar in it. And just the whole thing was like, Bleh. Not good. So that's the current weirdest. I love it. What's your top tip? or tips to get a great night's sleep? If someone has trouble falling asleep, staying asleep, any pro tips there? Yes, absolutely. So make your room as dark as you can. When I'm traveling, I will travel with electrical tape, like black electrical tape, and put it on the TV, like little LEDs in the room. I will grab a towel in the bathroom and drape it over the window if it's not dark enough, like fully do that, and then make it really cold. So I like sleeping at like 68 degrees. So really cold, really dark. And usually that helps. And if you feel like you have a lot of energy in your body and you need to kind of get it out before your body can rest, lay down on the floor, put your feet against the wall and sort of bounce off the wall like this. And slowly that'll shake your body and that'll calm your nervous system. And then do that for five minutes. And then usually you're ready to go to bed. Love it. Great tip. And then on that note, I mean, you, you're dealing with, you know, jet lag with traveling from Paris to LA. Any, any jet lag tips? It's tough. It's just difficult. Jet lag tips. Not really, to be honest. I just kind of just write it out. <laughs> just write it out. I've heard get, yeah. you know, get, go see a sunset sunrise as fast as you can. Yes. That can mitigate it to some definitely degree. Definitely sunrise. Yeah, definitely sunrise is good. And actually, if you have trouble sleeping, when you wake up, going into the sun for a few minutes and making sure your eyes get some of that sunlight really helps reorganize your circadian rhythm and then you're more tired in the evening. So that's a really good tip, actually. So yes, when you're traveling and jet lagged as well, for sure. Love that. What's your favorite tip if someone has a lull in energy? You know, maybe a lot of the tips today will help them for sure. Any other thing that we haven't talked about today to get a pick me up in your energy? The thing with energy that I've found, Will, is that it's kind of a more long-term process. So it might take you a few days as you're balancing your glucose levels to like get your energy to a steady place. Mm -hmm. If you're feeling tired right now and you need to pick me up, I would do like 50 jumping jacks. You know, get your heart rate up, get your body oxygenated, take a cold shower, like that kind of stuff will help Love in that. an acute moment. But really just try to have a savory breakfast every morning instead of a sweet one. That is going to sort you out for the whole day for sure. I love that. Do you, do you ever go to Starbucks? And if you go to Starbucks, what's your Starbucks order? I'm so boring. I go to this, I go to Starbucks when I'm in airports usually, and I yeah. just have a really tall green tea. Yes. Iced or hot? Usually hot. And then I put some water in it. 
So I'll be like, don't fill it all the way to the top. And then I put some cold water in it. So it's the perfect temperature. Yes, I agree with you. I, it's too hot. It's, I, I'm holding that Starbucks cup for, for like hours. hours. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what the heck are you trying to kill somebody? Starbucks, we need, it should be standard barista protocol to like fill it up 75% and a little bit. Of, why? We need to run it's this perfect. company. Oh my gosh. Literally, Will, this is like the perfect solution to all teas. <laughs> I know. It just makes it so much better. I know. Hey, Starbucks, call us up. We have glucose <laughs> goddess, Dr. Will Cole, we'll help you out. Um, we'll sort you out. Yeah, right. If you had to only use one skincare product, what would that product be? Hyaluronic acid. Any specific brand that you like of that? Humectant? I test lots of different brands. I just bought some a new brand yesterday. I just put it all, so I clean my face at eight in the evening, put it all over my face, like a ton. I love it. And then a nice moisturizer to just lock it all in. And I've only been doing this for about six months. Six months ago, I knew nothing about skincare. And I think I was writing my like balanced glucose levels and my skin just was really good because of that. But recently I got really into it and I, I can feel my skin just like soaking up all that moisture and it, it feels really nice. So I'm kind of obsessed now, but I use way too much. I think I use like probably 10 times the recommended amount. <laughs> I just wrote it all over my face. Also on my eyelids and my neck. And I'm just like, Vaseline, you know, yeah. and I, I can't even put my head on the pillow because it's all wet. So I have to sort of like lay on my back. <laughs> like bathing in hyaluronic acid. Yes. That's funny. What, what's my a, dream is like a bath, Will. <gasps> Imagine like okay. a hyaluronic acid bath. We need, I'm sure we could get some derms to help us out with that. Just like a, a spa. On the yacht. Yeah, on the yacht. <laughs> one invite, one invite Barbara Sturm. She'll, she'll help us out. Perfect. <laughs> what What's a book that you've read in the last year? It could be fiction, nonfiction that's really inspired you or got you thinking in a in a fresh new way. I actually just finished Emily Ratajkowski's book, My Body. And I don't usually read like a lot of memoirs, biographies and stuff, but I thought it was really beautiful. So when I was younger, I was a model when I was studying in undergrad and I found it really intense to deal with that whole industry. And I was like, this feels very like a strange place. And her book, I think should be required reading for any teenage girl in the world right now, who's like thinking they need to, you know, use their body on social media to, you know, look good and that it's so important. And it's all about sex appeal and getting men, etc. I think Emily did a fantastic job breaking that all down and telling us firsthand her experience. And I, I just, props to her. It's really good. It's really well written as well. It kind of uh, kind of surprised me in an amazing way. Thank you. I'll put the show notes for all the things we talked about at drwillcole.com. My friend, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Where can people go to get the book, learn all the things you're doing, all, all the things, tell them where to go. Thank you, Will. So the book is called Glucose Revolution and it's anywhere that you can buy books. And my Instagram is glucose goddess. And that's really where everything happens. I, all the information, all the cool new stuff happening in my world, all the cool glucose hacks, new discoveries, community stuff, all happening on the Instagram. Love that. Are you on TikTok? Yeah, I am. But I just kind of don't really post a lot there. Yeah, I'm, I'm really not good at it. But, you know, maybe we'll figure it out on the yacht. We'll talk about it. <laughs> We'll talk about it. We'll, we'll invite some like younger, cooler yeah. people than us and they can show us how <laughs> yeah. it's done. Get some Gen Z <laughs> person to help us out. My <laughs> friend, come back anytime. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, Will. At the end of every episode, I'll be answering a question from one of you guys. Nothing is off limits. Ask me anything. And you can send your questions over to me on Instagram or Facebook. 
As a functional medicine practitioner, it's been fun seeing the questions that have already come in on different food philosophies, wellness trends, and ways to approach overall mental, emotional, and physical health and well-being. Thanks for those, and I'm looking forward to seeing what else is on your mind. Now it's time for another Ask Me Anything. Today's question is from Anwar. Anwar asks, Hi, Dr. Cole. In a previous Ask Me Anything, you talked about how you can see low iron in some patients who have anxiety, depression, and fatigue impacting their mood. What are some ways for us to increase our iron? Great question, Anwar. So you are right. In a, for people that, you know, for context of this, go back to, it was a few episodes ago, and in Ask Me Anything at the end of an episode, I answered a question about mood disorders, people that are having mood issues like anxiety, depression, irritability, fatigue, brain fog, and low iron being implicated in some cases. So we see in functional medicine, things like anxiety and depression and brain fog, fatigue, really any symptom like this, right? As a check engine light. For, so, for some people, it's factors A, B, C, and D. For the next person, it's E, F, G, H. So it's really a confluence of factors oftentimes, but low iron, it can certainly be a component for many people. And it's very common and should be looked at to optimize. It's a component. It's a piece of the puzzle. And for some people, it's a significant piece of the puzzle. So it impacts neurotransmitters like dopamine and it's needed for oxygenation of our cells. So there's a lot of science behind it that I went over in that previous episode. So Anwar asks, what are some ways to optimize iron? So assuming that you had low iron to begin with, because look, you have to be judicious with iron, right? Too much iron is not ideal and just like low iron is not ideal. It's the Goldilocks principle. It's about balance. It's homeostasis because, because iron is oxygen is oxygenating our cells. It's increasing oxygen too much, too much oxygen creates inflammation. It's oxidation. That's not a good thing, just like a deficiency. So excess iron, things like hemochromatosis, either primary or secondary hemochromatosis, whether it's a genetics or a component of it, or it's an iron overload by taking in too much iron that's inflammatory and not something that I would want. And that's something that we also help patients with in lowering excess iron. But if we're talking about low iron and getting just the right amount, the optimal amount to have optimal mood and energy levels and hormone health, well, that's definitely something that we need to talk about for people that need to do that. So first of all, I would get your nutrient levels checked. You have to actually see where your iron levels are at and not just the serum iron level, but looking at ferritin. Ferritin is a biomarker for stored iron and we want it for hormone health. For most people, we want it at least 80 and many people, they will be normal quote unquote by the lab standards, but not optimal. They're average, but not optimal. So in functional medicine, we're looking at the optimal, not average range. And for people to have optimal energy levels, hormone health, I want ferritin or stored iron to be at least 80. And depending on your menstruating or not, postmenopausal or not, if you're a man or woman, definitely there's different optimal ranges for people when it comes to iron levels and ferritin. But for the sake of you know simplicity, that's a typical optimal range, lower limit of optimal for ferritin. But then not just running iron and ferritin, but also iron saturation, total iron binding capacity or TIBC, running what's called an MC series, which basically is red blood cell measurements, hemoglobin, hematocrit. These are all important to put iron metabolism and iron stores in context and how it's impacting somebody's health. 
So once we see an issue, if there is an issue there, then we want to optimize it. So depending on how low it is, would depend, on, would depend how much of a heavy hand, or so to speak, we would lean into optimizing iron for that person. Because we could just start with food. If it's maybe suboptimal, there's some things to work on. Let's start with food, right? So grass-fed beef is a great source of the bioavailable sources of iron or organ meats. Wild-caught fish can be a great source of it. Oysters, shellfish, chicken, turkey, some plant-based beans, lentils, potatoes, cashews, dark leafy greens, beets, spinach, all can be helpful at optimizing. So then, you know, I've talked about this in previous episodes, but the heme iron versus the non-heme iron, the bioavailability of some of these sources of iron, the plant-based sources of iron tend to be less bioavailable, especially for people that have gut issues and not digesting and absorbing food appropriately. So I would recommend for people that are looking to use food as medicine here and work on nutrient density and bioavailability of nutrients to consider an omnivore approach, blend of plant-based and non-plant-based foods to optimize their nutrient status, not just with iron, but nutrients as a whole. So that's some foods to consider. Foods that contain vitamin C can help with iron bioavailability and iron absorption, basically making those iron-rich foods more usable. So things like broccoli or grapefruit, kiwi, Leafy greens, again, have both melons, oranges, peppers, strawberries, tangerines. These vitamin C rich foods can definitely help with iron food. So maybe have the vitamin C rich foods around the time that you have the iron rich foods. And again, nature is brilliant. (laughs) So some of these foods have both iron and vitamin C to work synergistically to help with iron absorption. Ultimately, the caveat for this is and in, in my mind when I'm looking, working, doing a case workup is why is iron low in the first place? So is it an underlying gut problem? Is it some sort of slow bleed that's going on there that's depleting iron? Is it, you know, things like hemorrhoids or people that have GI inflammation? It's certainly we want to be looking at that. People that have heavy periods can be depleting iron every month. So maybe we need to work upstream to work on hormonal balance to allow us time to build up that iron deficiency. So ultimately, iron deficiency doesn't happen in a vacuum, and we want to put that in context. And that's where health history comes into play, a comprehensive health history. That's where labs and context really helps us to figure out the larger story as to why iron is low in the first place. So yes, we want to work on optimizing iron, but then let's get to the root cause of why iron was low in the first place. There's a, obviously a place for iron supplementation, which we would curate protocols based on somebody's labs. You want to, again, be judicious. You don't want to be dosing too high because too much iron isn't advantageous at all. There's a place when it makes sense from a you know health history standpoint. After you've tried food, tried supplementation, some people need iron infusions like IV iron tracked via labs to make sure you're not doing too much. So these are all things we need to take into consideration. But anybody that's going through hormonal problems, anxiety, depression, fatigue, you definitely want to look at your iron status.
Thanks again for listening to The Art of Being Well. If you have a chance, please rate and review the podcast here. And if you like what you're hearing, hit follow and pass it along to a friend. To see more, head to drwillcole.com slash podcast. I'll be back every Monday and Thursday, and I hope you will too. Talk soon. note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.